In a minute, we'll dig into our passage. But before that, we're just going to watch a one-minute video. You might have heard of Open Doors, which is a charity supporting persecuted Christians across the world. And this is just a one-minute video to give a, a sense of what it's like to be a Christian in so many parts of the world. So watch it, sit back just a minute, and as you watch it, just think to yourself, gosh, if that was me facing that level of oppression and abuse, how would I cope? What, what would I do? So just a minute, see what you think. Sobering stuff, isn't it? It's really unsettling to watch something like that, and it makes you think, gosh, well, what would I do? How would I cope if that was me? in those shoes. Well, you don't need me perhaps to tell you that across the world today there are millions, as that video says, struggling in that very way today because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Last year, you might know, the Foreign Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, ordered a, uh, or requested a, uh, an independent review to be conducted about the state of the persecution of Christians across the world. It's worth reading. It came out a couple of months ago, and it's pretty grim reading church bombings in Pakistan, Christian girls in Nigeria taken as sex slaves, in Iraq, ISIS's treatment of Christians being what's known as genocide by some people. And the list goes on and on and on. And I think it's with that in mind that we come to Psalm 90 for this lunchtime. Do you see the sense here of oppression, of Um, tragic um, crushing of God's people. Uh, Psalm 94 is written in the sort of 5th century BC and Israel's leaders have become corrupt and now very oppressive of their own people and they're trampling upon them. Look down with me, 94 uh, verse 4 and 5. They pour out arrogant words on the evil deals. They're full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. And it's the most vulnerable who are being crushed. Verse 6, they slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. Wave after wave of abuse and oppression coming their way because of their faith. So that's something that happened back then in the time of this psalm being written. Also something as we've seen that's happening today out there in the real world. And actually, it may well be the case that some of us come to church this lunchtime and in some smaller way, we can resonate with the words of this psalm. We're feeling the pressure acutely because of our allegiance to Jesus Christ, whether that's family or friends cutting ties, or perhaps in the workplace, the place you just dread bringing up Christian faith and ethics. You dare not go there because of the cost it will bring. And so those words of Jesus in John 15 are very true for some of us. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So there'll be some of us here this lunchtime, as well as Christians around the world, for whom Psalm 94, verse 2, verse 3, are more than words on a page. They're cries of our heart. Rise up, judge of the earth. Verse 3, how long, Lord, how long will it go on for? Can I just say before we pray and crack on, if you're just looking into Christian things this lunchtime, uh, just visiting church, thank you so much for coming. It's, it's great to have you with us this lunchtime. I wonder if I can ask the question, where do we go if we're honest? Where do we go 
when oppression and injustice comes our way or when we see it around us? Where do we go if we're not Christian? I was talking to a trade union worker the other day at my old law firm and she's passionate about ending the exploitation of lowly paid workers in London. It's her great passion in life. Amazing, her commitment to it. And I asked her, where's your hope in this? Where do you go to for your hope that things might change? And after a long pause, she looked at me. She said, I don't know. And then I asked her, at the end of the day, then what do you do when you don't know where to go for hope? What do you do? She said, I close my eyes and go to sleep. Desperately honest as to where she goes. But for the Christian, what we see in Psalm 94 is that there's somewhere else to go, someone better to go to than sleeping in our pillow. It's the Lord himself. And there's two things I want us to see this lunchtime. Firstly, that there's a future justice to come. That's the great anchor to hold on to for us and for our persecuted brothers and sisters. A future justice. And secondly, a present comfort in the here and now. So that's where we're going over the next 15 minutes or so. Let me say a prayer and we'll dig in. Father, we thank you for these words written by the psalmist, written by your spirit. Please, with your same spirit, be our teacher, our humbler, our comforter this lunchtime. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've closed it, do open it up again. Psalm 94, page 601. First point there, the, the, this prospect of future justice that runs throughout this psalm. Look at the attitude first, though, of the oppressors. Look, look what's going on in their minds. Verse 7, they've been slaying the widow and the foreigner, murdering the fatherless. Verse 7, the Lord doesn't see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. They think that they're accountable to nobody. But, of course, no secrets can be hidden from God. This judge won't have any evidence concealed from his gaze. Verse 9. Who fashioned the ear not to hit? Does he not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Of course he knows what's going on behind closed doors. He sees and he cares. Look at who we're talking about here. Did you notice it? Verse 5. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. And again in 14, the Lord won't reject his people. He'll never forsake his inheritance. These people under the cosh, they're not just anybody. They're somebody's. They're they're his. They're his people, his inheritance. Made in God's image, loved by him, and now redeemed by him. He's their Lord. That word Lord, don't forget, Yahweh. it's, It's covenant language. God has bound himself in covenant love forever to these people so of course he's going to care for them let me tell you a little bit about this lady Gambo last week in Westminster Abbey in the chapter house there was an open doors exhibition with dozens of portraits of mainly women in western Africa who've been persecuted because of their gender and because of their Christian faith and this is one of the ladies there Gambo and she was out carrying firewood in northern Nigeria some time ago and one of the um, uh, Fulani tribesmen which are mainly Muslim cattle herders nomadic tribes um, cornered her and this young man said to her 
If you don't let me sleep with you, I will kill you. She said to him, In the name of Jesus, I will never allow you to sleep with me. If you want to take my life, just take me. She was beaten unconscious. And when she woke up, she was naked, bleeding, and unable to walk. And still, sometime later, her arms crippled broken. And she's still seeking justice in the courts in Nigeria. Well, that lady there is someone in line with Psalm 94 who's one of God's people, his inheritance, precious to him. Of course he'll stand up for justice for her. I suppose the issue is with justice, you and I very often want it now, don't we? (laughs) When I uh, worked as a solicitor, I did a bit of work on the Grenfell Tower public inquiry, and I remember days after the tragedy where 72 people lost their lives, I was there at the site, and I got caught up in this great wave, this march of heartfelt, calm, but angry protest, and the chant again and again was this, what do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. Justice was wanted and it was wanted now. And some of us can relate to that. We want this justice and we hear stories like this and we want justice now. Well, to that we say, well, of course God is in the justice business in the here and now. In his kindness, he's given human governments, courts of law, to bring about a measure of justice in our society today. But our psalm, I think, points us beyond the justice in this world to another day, an ultimate day of perfect justice. This psalm has through it like a a thread of steel the, the, the commitment of God that he won't let this sort of oppression to his people go on forever. Look at the sense of it in verse 1. O God who avenges, shine forth, rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. Verse 13, a pit will be dug for the wicked. And the question comes in verse 16, well, who will rise up for me? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? And he's asking the question not because he doesn't know the answer. He does know the answer. It's the Lord. And the great climax of the psalm comes in verse 23. He, the Lord, will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. There's a day when all wrongs will be righted by this perfect judge who loves what is right. It was Martin Luther King, I think, who said or quoted that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We long for this sort of justice, don't we, if we're honest with ourselves. And the assertion of the Bible is that history is heading somewhere to this day of perfect, unpolluted justice when God will wrong, will, will right every wrong, which will be of great comfort to those like Gambo, who suffer now because of their allegiance to Christ. I remember one of the first cases I had as a solicitor was to act for this 19, 20-year-old girl in London somewhere. And she was repeatedly guilty of antisocial behaviour against her neighbours, fellow tenants and the landlord. And we warned her again and again, look, if you keep doing this, you will get evicted. But she shrugged her shoulders 
and carried on in the most grievous ways against her fellow tenants. And so sure enough, at the county court, judgment was handed down. Outright possession order. Eviction day set, nothing could be done about it. No stay, nothing. Outright possession. And that, of course, was a great relief to her neighbours. At last, they would get the respite they deserved. Well, this psalm is a reminder that there is going to be a day of justice where judgment's handed down, not from a county court, but from the courts of heaven. From, verse 2, the judge of all the earth. And this judgment won't be spiteful or malicious. There won't be any court of appeal because it will be perfect in its precision. That those who've hated Christ, who don't want him, who refuse him, and persecute his people and therefore him, they will pay for their crimes. And so vengeance must be left to the Lord. It's not for us to dish out. It's for him on that final day. And so in the meantime, what do we do? What, what do our friends do? Well, on the one hand, I think that we're called to pray for our enemies, aren't we? That's crystal clear from Jesus' teaching. We're to pray for our enemies. That those who at the moment detest his ways come to find in Jesus the love and the grace and forgiveness that is on offer even to them. Think of Paul, the worst persecutor, and God had mercy on him. Well, that's what we long for. So on the one hand, we we pray for that and we long for that. But on the other hand, at the same time, we also long for, well, this second coming of the Lord Jesus where we say, how long, Lord, how long? Please come back, restore this broken world and bring about your justice. So it's a sober warning this morning. But it's also great comfort. Comfort for people like Gambo and others around the world and some of us this morning to remember that God will have the last word. Not the evildoers who hate him. That's the first big point this morning, God's future justice. But look secondly and more briefly at what God is providing to the psalmist now. That's the second anchor. If one anchor is this great future hope, this great confidence, the other anchor to support him in the here and now is God's present comfort. Look at verse 17 to 19. Look at how personal it is. Unless the Lord had given me help... I would as soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. And then 22, he's owning God's protection for himself. The Lord has become my fortress, my God the rock in whom I take refuge. This is more than just stuff for his head to believe. This is him experiencing in a wholly intimate and tender way, in the midst of suffering, the, the, the comfort of God himself. Your love supported me, he says. Amazing. You see, often it's in our frailty we see his faithfulness. It's in our struggles where we see his strengthening, and often only then. It's often, and in fact precisely, in our woundedness that the healing balm of God's loving grace is best applied.
And that's the psalmist's experience here. They're oppressed and yet comforted by their Lord in the most intimate way. That's why we sang earlier the words of that hymn, I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. That's the amazing truth of the God of the Bible. He's not just some remote, distant deity who will bring justice in some distant way in the future. He's our loving Heavenly Father who wants to draw near and comfort his people in our experience in the here and now today. It's amazing that that is the sort of God we're given. So Gambo, here she is again. She, she went to an open doors um, ex, uh, um, therapy clinic, uh, art therapy clinic, and this is the painting she painted of herself. Notice two things. There's tears, and she's not smiling. This is what she had to say about that. You can see that I'm not smiling. That's because I've got feelings of anger and bitterness. And yet also, I had feelings of joy, knowing God loves me and still protects and cares for me. I just want to thank God for the peace that he's restored to my heart. Isn't that amazing? That exhibition is rightly called Tears of Gold because there's tears there, but they're tears of gold. Tears because, of course, there's heartbreak and hurt and agony. But they're tears of gold because it's in that agony and that oppression that people like Gambo have experienced the preciousness of God's comfort and upholding love in the face of such injustice. So God doesn't promise to remove us, his people, from the storm. Rather, he promises to be with us in the storm. That's the picture, isn't it, of this fortress and rock, 22. God has become my fortress. God the rock in whom I take refuge. This secure, solid, safe place. He wants us to find our refuge. And as we draw to close, let's not forget God isn't immune or indifferent, therefore, to the hardships and the hostilities that his people face. He's not immune to it. In fact, he's experienced it himself. It was Bonhoeffer, the pastor of the 1940s, martyred by the Nazis, who said this, only a suffering God can help us. Only a suffering God can help us. And when you look at 21, who does this remind you of? The wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death it's Jesus isn't it the innocent the righteous and when you look at Jesus' life from beginning to end you see one who's experienced and suffered oppression like this more than we can imagine it's Christmas there's trees up the beautiful tree we think of when we think of Christmas well don't forget at Christmas we see Jesus Christ God's son himself in the most weak and vulnerable position having to flee Bethlehem as a refugee and then trace his life to the end of his earthly life an unlawful trial tortured, imprisoned, beaten and murdered on a cross This is what God's character is like. He's not immune. He's not indifferent. 
In Christ, he's come to experience it himself, bearing the sin, the judgment that we deserve, but also more than qualified now to help you and me and people like Gambo in the oppression that they face. The innocent, the righteous one, who of course didn't stay dead, who rose again. And Easter Day reminds us that Jesus is this God who will return, who's reigning, who's risen, and will return, and will bring about his future justice. That's what we're to long for and put our confidence in. But in the meantime, he offers his present comfort by his spirit. So as we draw to a close, why don't we commit to pray every week? Get on the Open Doors app on your prayer mate or whatever and pray for those in the persecuted church to be gripped with confidence that vengeance, justice will happen one day. But also pray that they might know God's comfort in the meantime, this loving, tender, intimate comfort that this psalm speaks of. And if we're under the cosh for following Christ this lunchtime, well... Let's take hold of these trees ourselves too, shall we? Let's have a moment's quiet and I'll pray. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Father, we think of our brothers and sisters across this world, this very moment, suffering oppression and injustice because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Please, even today, give them assurance of this wonderful future day of justice. And in the meantime, comfort them with your love for them. Help us to learn from their example, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.